Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK, sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto, home, life, business, RV, boat, motorcycle, whatever it may be, they'll do everything they can to save you money and make sure you're fully insured. Customer service means everything to them at Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. It is uh, rare in this business that when you have someone in broadcasting where they have a legendary voice... Uh, which West Virginia did for years in the legendary Jack Fleming. And Jack did the Bulls. And, yes, the Steelers for such a long time. When you see Franco Harris's immaculate reception, that is Jack Fleming's voice. Well, he was the voice of West Virginia for a long time. Big shoes to fill. Well, the guy that stepped in has now ascended that same level with what he's done at West Virginia. That's the outstanding Tony Caridi. Tony, welcome. It is so great to have you on the show. Same here, Steve. It's my pleasure to be with you, and I appreciate it. All right, so let's start with this. There are 14 transfers that could play a role somewhere with West Virginia this year. What has it taken for Neil Brown to really remake this roster into one that he thinks can move the program forward? Well, certainly a good question, and I, I think the answer to that is, as you know, Steve, this transfer portal world that we've been in here now for several years, I, I think schools have tried to figure it out. Do you go with accomplished players at a lower level and cross your fingers and hope that they can rise to this level and be productive, or do you go the other side of it, and do you go a Power 5 player, obviously, that's either played a lot or has started in the past, but sometimes not a starter, but a guy that may have been behind a really good player, and take your chances there. I think that Neil's done it a couple of different ways since he's been here, now leaning more toward you know, a little bit higher level of competition when he brings a guy in. Um, I, I think a couple of those guys that he's brought in, uh, for example, Devin Carter from North Carolina State, a wide receiver uh, who will play on Saturday night. Uh, another guy out of the Big Ten Conference, Beanie Bishop, was a backup cornerback uh, from the University of Minnesota. I, I think probably like a salt reference, we're going to sprinkle those guys in like salt. I don't think they have to come in and play uh, massive roles for this team to be successful, but I do think they are, they are a needed piece to what this team could have this season. Which then brings me to the next part. And I think I mentioned to you this when we talked this morning. It was in the context of an answer, and I said something about it looks to me like when I watch tape, the strength of the football team's your offensive line. It sounded like Neil echoed that today. What's your thought on that group up front, which is a veteran group? It's a great question. So here's what happened, Steve. When Neil Brown took over, and this is his fifth season, the offensive line was absolutely deplete 
of what you need to play with at this level. There was one player on the entire roster that he inherited that was drafted into the NFL within that first three years that he was here, i.e. guys that he inherited. And that one player was the left tackle, Colton McKivitz, uh, who's played several seasons now uh, for the San Francisco 49ers. The point is, he started from scratch. So over the course of the previous four seasons, uh, he put this line together. Uh, coincidentally, and difficult to do, but three of those starters on the offensive line are from right here in West Virginia, and two and maybe all three of them are going to have a chance to play in the NFL. The left tackle is Wyatt Milam, the center is Zach Frazier, and uh, one of the other tackles is Doug Nestor, and they all three have an opportunity. So now he went from zero to going into Saturday's game. They've got a little over 130 career starts among that group, um, and it has become the strength of the team after really being the biggest weakness on the team. This then brings me to running back. There, there's four guys that can play there, but it looks like C.J. Donaldson is a guy that a lot of fans should take a look at. When you see number four out there, what does what do you see in him that allows him to be a really good back that fits with this offensive line? What stands out is that he's unique for a back. You know, he doesn't look like the running backs that we see um, on a regular basis because a year ago when he came into this program, he was a tight end. And just on a, hey, let's give him a chance last camp, last summer's camp, let's give him a chance and see what he can do at running back. And everyone thought they had recruited the tight end, and instead they started him in running back, at the running back spot uh, during preseason camp in August. We go and play at Pitt last year, and he explodes. And the only thing that stopped him during the course of the season was injury. Um, he had a significant uh, concussion against Texas. He then uh, suffered a bad break uh, against TCU late in the season. It required surgery, which has shelved him. He returns uh, this Saturday. But he's a big guy, Steve, 240 pounds, which, as I said, we just don't see those guys. But in right. addition to him, uh, you've got another couple of guys that have played quality football, Justin Johnson and Jalen Anderson. Mm -hmm. Each of the yep. three have all run for over 100 yards in a game in their career. So I, I would say that, you know, they've got depth, legitimate depth, at that running back position. And not only that, there's a, a youngster there, a freshman, and then, there, of course, a lot of people will be interested in, in the freshman Rodney Gallagher at right. wide receiver. What's your thoughts on that and also the Ray kid? Yeah, so you're on it, buddy. So those two players, Traylon Ray and Rodney Gallagher, we'll do Rodney Gallagher first. Rodney Gallagher, you know, great recruiting story in that at one time he was ranked the number one player in the nation as a, as a basketball player and, you know, played on LeBron James's son's team, and he was highly acclaimed, but stuck with football. And he's just from, you know, he's Uniontown, Pennsylvania, so just over the border from us here and highly sought after. And so I think he has surprised WVU coaches uh, because I think they thought all along he was going to be a really good player, but they didn't think he was going to be really good right off the bat because just physically, you know, it takes time. But he's got that great twitch, and I think that's kind of what's going to separate him. And Neil said earlier today during his press conference that he definitely will see action on special teams, but he'll probably be in the mix as well uh, running routes as a slot receiver. The other one is Traylon Ray. And he looks yeah. the part. I mean, he's got really nice size, and he's just one of those guys that during the course of preseason camp just continued to show himself 
in scrimmages and making plays, and you kind of start looking around, and you go like, wait a second, who's that? That's the Ray kid. That's the Ray kid. And so he's making plays. Now, does that translate into Saturday night success or September success? I don't know. You know, they're freshmen. It takes a little bit of an adjustment period. Um, But sometime, whether it's this season or a year from now, those guys are going to become very impactful players. West Virginia knows its starting quarterback. Uh, the team knows its starting quarterback. Uh, but they're not going to release who it is, which is the prerogative of Neil Brown. And they're not going to release a depth chart this week. And Penn State doesn't release one either. So, okay. But when you look at the two guys that are primarily there, starting with Garrett Green, what does each bring to the table that fans at Beaver Stadium should be looking at? Probably the ability to make plays if the play isn't there or to run plays specifically designed for the quarterback. What West Virginia has not had in a good while now has been a quarterback that can extend plays with their feet. And as you know, in this game today, you really need to. You you have to be, and especially going back to our offensive line woes over the previous couple of seasons, man, was it badly needed. I think both Garrett Green and Nico Markiel both have the ability to do that. Uh, Green, perhaps more so. I think Nico can be a, you know, he can be a competent guy that can run out of the pocket, extend a play, extend a drive, look downfield. But I think Garrett Green um, has big boy speed. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys that has clocked in over, you know, 20, 21 miles per hour on the GPS. So when he goes, he can go. Um, you know, that's probably the biggest change at quarterback, and that's the biggest thing that I think Mountaineer fans are interested in seeing is what does a Neil Brown offense look like with a quarterback that can make plays with his feet because we just have not had that up until this point in the previous four seasons. So what are you seeing from this group defensively? You you mentioned uh, Beanie Bishop from Minnesota, and he'd start out Western Kentucky, then he went to Minnesota, so Penn State's seen him before. Cobb from Buffalo has been brought in as well. Um, and Marcus Floyd. What do you see in that defense that makes West Virginia better, especially in a conference like the Big 12 where offense, for the most part, is dominated, at least until the last couple of years ago, defenses in the Big 12 have been a lot better? So two parts to your answer. Uh, yeah. I think that just from a talent perspective, the coaches feel – that the level of talent has increased, improved from where it was a year ago. And I think the second part of it is, Steve, we just had a really difficult time last season, and I think it was paralysis by analysis um, that these guys just weren't properly getting in pre-snap alignment, and as a result, you had yourself uh, some significant issues. They have strived in this offseason uh, to do several different things, but one of the most biggest objectives starting back in the spring was, you know, simplify it down so that we're playing football and rather not thinking about playing football. So that was object number one, was to pre-snap alignment, be where you're supposed to be, and let the guys just not overthink it. I think the second part of it is, and we'll see how this test goes on Saturday, but the second part of it is, you know, just the overall ability to be extremely physical and to 
successfully tackle. Now, you know, we've known each other for a ton of years, more than we want to admit, right? And so <laughs> through the years, right, West Virginia's defense, while not always, always being the most talented on the field, after it was over, people knew that they played West Virginia, right? It was right. that blue-collar, yep. just hammer people, lunch, lunch pal, Don Nealon mentality, we're going to be physical. Well, as you know, the game has changed significantly. You can't even hit like you used to be able to hit, and that's probably a good thing for the overall health of the game of football going forward. But we collectively, West Virginia, I don't play, but the West Virginia collectively, <laughs> um, you know, we need to get back that physicality, which I think has really lacked, you know, especially last season. Uh, if, if it's anything, we've got to be just hard-nosed and tough. Now, you know, with your two dudes running that football, uh, it's going to be the ultimate challenge. I started thinking about this earlier today, actually, after we talked this morning, and that was the fact that this is kind of like for West Virginia schedule-wise, this is a NASCAR season. Like, we're starting with the Daytona 500 in right. the sense that this is probably the single most talented team that we'll see for the course of the year. You never know how things are going to shake out, but at right. least on paper, it's not even close. Sure. And so, to me, you're going you're gonna to have to bring it full throttle from the first game. And so that's what they focused on. They focused on, you know, making tackles. Your guys are unbelievable in, in yards after contact, uh, especially when the running backs. And so that, to me, is going to be the biggest thing. Are you pre-snap aligned? Uh, when you have the opportunity to make an open field tackle, are you securing and bringing that uh, ball carrier down? Those are the biggest things for me. There'll be two former Penn State players on the West Virginia side. That would be Fatorbo Molba at defensive tackle and it's Spear, which is a combination outside linebacker safety and Lance Dixon. How have each progressed in your mind? Um, I, I think in the case of Dixon, and you probably know this, right, a guy that um, has all of the credentials and has been highly touted, you know, um, at times, you know, he has stood out. At other times, um, he just kind of been there, uh, to be yeah. quite honest with you. Uh, they are hoping that he finally – gets to that point where he's just a consistent guy every single Saturday that he's out there and he's making plays, but has ability and just fingers are crossed that it is a consistent uh, display. They really need him to play uh, extremely well. What does it mean to the fans in the state of West Virginia that they have both Pitt and Penn State on the schedule this year, regardless of result? I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but they have them both back. <laughs> oh, I think they, I mean, as you know, the regionality of college sports is really the essence of college sports. It's why we love college sports was, you know, through the years, geographically being close to one another to play in these games because invariably, right, we've got Penn State alums that live in West Virginia and vice yep. versa. And, you know, that's what makes college sports. And it obviously has just become diluted. And so to answer your point, yeah, they love it. They absolutely love playing these schools. However, here comes the, here comes the big however. Um, our schedule has not been well thought out. Um, mm -hmm. And I said this yeah. a decade ago when they started adding these games to the non-conference schedule. Here's the reality of it. You get three non-conference games as a member of the Big 12 Conference. Right. And West Virginia now has been playing two Power Five teams among those three non-conference games. Right. That's absolutely ludicrous. We were one of two schools in the country yep. last year that played 11 Power Five schools. That's yep. one thing. 
And now for the third consecutive year, we're opening on the road at a Power mm-hmm. Five. We've got Maryland, Pitt, and now Penn State. That's just silly. That's nonsense. I'm all for playing traditional rivals. I say we play one a year, whoever it is, if it's Pitt, Penn State, Virginia Tech, Maryland, uh, whoever it is, play one of them. The other two, you schedule accordingly. Teams that, you know, you probably have a really good chance to win, and you take your shot, and you come out of your non-conference 2-1 and one or 3-0, and oh, and then you go swing it in the league and see what you do. But right now, we've been overscheduled, and it's not been wise. Yeah, and you have to be smart about how you go about it. You have to realize the pathway in front of you. And from a college football playoff point of view, when Washington made it in 2016 and their non-conference was Portland State, Idaho, and Rutgers, that was the indication to everybody that, hey, just go out and win your conference games. Exactly. Uh, uh, Okay, obviously the Big 12 has been ultra-aggressive in expansion, uh, they were able to stay relevant and alive after Texas and Oklahoma announced they were leaving by getting Houston, Cincinnati, UCF, and BYU. Now, in the latest round, the return of Colorado to go with Utah, Arizona, Arizona State. Uh, your thoughts on, and you and I, this is something he and I already have talked about this today. <laughs> but, but Tony's gearing up to, for that, that short jaunt over to Tucson. <laughs> yeah, so you're asking me what I think of it? Yeah. So here's I, I think I gave you half the answer already. Um, you know, as a traditionalist, it, it bums me out that you're not playing these regional rival games, that that's why people get excited. Okay, that's fine. The other part of it is that this is morphed from college athletics, and this is professional sports right now, both – on the basketball side and on the football side. And so in order to be in the game, in order to have the proverbial seat at the table, you know, you had to play along with this or otherwise you would have gotten left out. When West Virginia made the move to the Big 12 Conference, and this will be our 12th season in the Big 12, it was a result of both Syracuse and Pitt departing from the Big East to go to the ACC. Big East became vulnerable, and we needed a safety net. Had we not reached the safety net of the Big 12, you know, invariably we could have been left out and you could have become uh, what Connecticut is suffering through right now. And you saw the absolute demise of their football program after they right. played, you know, in a Fiesta Bowl. So it, it worked. You have to play the game. Um, and, I'll, and I'll say this about the Big 12 Conference. Other than the geography, other than being up until this point the, the, the closest rival, so to speak, was Iowa State, which is like right. you know 800 miles away from Morgantown. <laughs> other than that, it's a wonderful fit. And by that I mean this, the conference is made up primarily of land-grant institutions. And right. so Kansas State fans and Oklahoma State fans and Oklahoma fans and Texas Tech fans and you know Iowa State fans, they're West Virginia fans. I mean, that's their thing. Very similar from a mission standpoint of the universities. Geography, no. Level of competition, it's been wonderful. You know, the round robin up until this most recent expansion of bringing in the other four schools, you play everyone in your conference twice, home and away, uh, in on-campus gyms. It was fantastic. Geography, yeah. But again, it's the price to pay if you want to be in this business, and this is where we are right now. Yeah, it certainly is. Tony, appreciate it. Uh, look forward to talking to you tonight as well on your show, and uh, that'll be a lot of fun. He and I go back 39 years, is that right? 
Yeah, this is my 40th, yeah, 40th season covering WVU. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Amazing. Remember that comment he made about we've known each other longer than we care to admit? <laughs> <laughs> I could be it. My friend, thanks so much. Uh, all the accolades you've received, you've earned. So we congratulate you on that because you've earned them. Thanks so much, Steve. My pleasure. It's great to be with you. We'll chat with you this evening. Tony Caridi, the play-by-play voice of West Virginia football and basketball. All right. Take a break. Are you done whining for the day, or is there something else that's come up? No, nah, I think I've gotten it all out of my system for you one sure? day. sure? As of now, yeah. It has to be something. The kids must have done something wrong over the weekend. <laughs> no, nah, it wasn't too bad this weekend. That's a relative term. <laughs> We're just working on the potty training still, that's all. Okay, America doesn't need to know that. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Uh, we'll just come. leave it at that. I'm not going to give details. I'm just going to leave it at that. I don't need to tell. Just by saying it was enough. <laughs> now you got people pulling off to the side of the road, people taking out bags. Come on. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> come on. <laughs> Get yourself together. <laughs> here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. Attention, Central Pennsylvania truck buyers. This is the one event you've been waiting for. Subway Motors is having their 75th annual August new Ford truck sale with savings up to $8,465 and financing as low as 1.9%. All new Ford F-150s will be priced at just $75 over invoice and they will come with a genuine Ford bedliner. Ford Motor Company has awarded SMC 42 additional F-150s to meet consumer demand during this unprecedented sale. The Ford F-150 is America's number one selling truck for 46 consecutive years and one is sold every 49 seconds. Subbury Motors has 23 new Ford Explorers available with savings up to five grand and they start from just 43,375. Pick from 17 of the totally redesigned Ford Escapes and SMC has them slash $2,500 and they start from only $30,890. Subbury Motors in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza Sunbury, proudly owned by the Mertz family for over a century. Hurry before someone gets your new truck. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK, sponsored by Prudy Insurance. Now, from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Hi there, how are you? Doing all right? I'd like to welcome everyone back to the show. Uh, I want to apologize for the last segment, not with Tony. But I mean, look, I mean, all of us who have had kids, grandkids, I mean, we all go through the potty training thing, but it's not something where we go on the air and go, let's do an entire segment about that. What are you thinking? Get the lingerie on the deck. Call the janitor. I mean, come on. <laughs> God, you wonder why you worry me. How long have you been on the air? <laughs> Since 2015 on and off. Have you heard anybody else talk about it? 
I'll take that as a no. No, senor! No, senor! No, senor! What does that then tell you? <laughs> I just can't. Oh, he's a dad. All right. He's a dad. Nothing like being a... And he's a great dad. So, Great dad. Great kids. Great dad. Awesome mom. So... All right. Okay, so I was in class this morning, teaching class. And on the first day of class, somebody brought up the war stat. And, of course, everybody knows that listens to the show. I'm like, really? Like, stuff like that's for people who don't have eyes, but that's all right. So the student who's a big Mets fan brought up that Francisco Lindor is fifth in the war stat. Now, I thought, and I said this morning, he says, I said, for goodness sakes, I said, you're telling me there are only four of the shortstops better than this guy? This is today. And I sat there, and I almost fell off, fell off the, you know, I was sitting on the, on the desk. I almost fell off the desk. He's fifth among all players. What? <laughs> what am I missing here? <laughs> really? Come on. Really? When he was with Cleveland, I really enjoyed watching him play. Really enjoyed watching him play. He played with enthusiasm. He played with life and energy and was entertaining and it translated to everybody. It was translated to everybody he was around. So you're talking about a guy that's hitting 255. 255. And he's, according to their stats, the fifth best player in the game? Now, does he have 23 stolen bases? Yeah. Does he have 24 home runs? Yeah. 29 doubles? Yeah. So he's got some good numbers like that. His slugging percentage is still under 500. But are you kidding me? What am I missing here, Matt? I'd also be asking the same question. Yeah. What am I missing here? Loved watching him play when he was in Cleveland. Loved it. He's three years with the Mets. He's at 235. Like, no offense, but those are pedestrian numbers. I mean, pedestrian. And then you watch him play, and he's struggling. Jeez. And, th- and this war number has him fifth overall? Which I... I but I said to... But this is what I did say then. I was trying... I said, I said, let's be fair about it for a second. I said... If you have to explain how it's calculated, is it a good stat? So batting average is easy. People can relate to batting average, the average fan. Again, your job is to relate to the average fan, right? Because the average fan is the one going to the games, even the above-average fan, right? They can relate to a guy hitting two fifty-five. 
Okay? They know what it means. I think they can relate to on-base percentage. They know what that means. Well, I think on-base percentage is a really important stat. Runs scored. Basic number, really important. Runs knocked in, really important. You know, people can understand that. But some of the advanced stuff, a lot of fans don't know what it means. And that's what I was trying to explain to them in class. I said, you have to talk to fans in... Uh, and can't force stuff on them that they don't really know what it means or how it's calculated. I'll give you one. Uh, okay, people will talk about QBR, right? Quarterback rating, and I think if I recall correctly, it's based on a 100 rating. Uh, but. Does anybody actually know how it's calculated as to how they come up with the number? And I'll I'll give you, uh, let's do simple examples. Fans can understand what completion percentage is, right? Fans can understand uh, touchdowns to interception ratio. That's easy. Uh, fans can understand um, yards per attempt. Okay, well, he's only averaging like he's averaging nine yards per attempt. He's averaging five yards per attempt. Geez, a lot of stuff's short in the man. Um, like easy common sense stuff, right? But when you start doing um, quarterback ratings and things like that. Now, and you see the number, and you're like, he's a 104. Now, everybody's like, hey, 104, that's really good. Okay. Um, that's that's fine. Or they'll see a low number, but how's it calculated? Batting average is easy. Completion percentage is easy. Number of passes thrown, number of passes completed. Number of yards, yards per attempt, yards per completion. You know, yards per attempt rushing. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that, people relate to. Like, uh, they've tried to force war down, you know, wins above replacement down everybody's throat. All right, I got it. Aaron Judge is out. The Bowers kid isn't as good. That's about as simple as she gets. Right? Figure I'd relate it to. Because you don't know anything about any of the other teams, so I figured I'd talk about your team. Bingo! I have to ask you, I'm trying to remember, do you do fantasy football? I used to, but I I haven't done it the last couple oh, of years. Of I just haven't had time to commit to it. Yeah, because a, a lot of people are doing their fantasy football drafts. Right. So, by the by the way, the Patriots did their cuts uh, today, and Trace McSorley was one of the guys cut. Just so you know, thought I'd throw that out there so everybody does know. Um, while you were all absorbed about Derek Barnett, I was, yeah, it was like, you know. <laughs> Don't worry about you. Let's see. Uh, so that's that's where we are. 
Again, I told him, I said, it's important. I said, if you're going to use a stat, explain what it means. Um, But when he told me that Lindor was fifth among everybody in Major League Baseball, looking around like, what the heck are you talking about, dude? Really? Wow. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, Peter King in, uh, let's see, uh, Football Morning in America. Went out to Costa Mesa. Costa Mesa is a beautiful area, by the way. Um, and Brandon Staley, guess who he spent time with? He spent time with Steve Kerr. Now, it's, it's always great to go around, to be honest with you, and I'll say this in praise of Brandon Staley, it's always great to be around other coaches that have success that then give you an idea, just in basic philosophy, where you're going right, what you may need to tweak, or like you look at me, look at something and say, nah, it doesn't fit what we do. But he did do it. Um talked about bringing Kellen Moore out there and his reputation that he is a low-ego team guy. I know you don't like him because he was the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys, but you have to put that stuff aside, man. <laughs> no, actually, I thought he was a, a very good offensive coordinator. Could be a good head coach. All right Now, Trey Lance. Traded. You know who I feel awful for is Will Greer. Will Greer, from all accounts, and I did not see the game. I, I, I They were showing a replay of it, and I was leaving last night, and the uh, Spikes president and general manager, Scott Walker, had NFL Network on, and I said, oh, geez, they're showing Will Greer. And they were showing the, the full game. It was just a replay of it. And I said, I feel awful for that guy. He went out and, like, for, I guess, all accounts threw for 300 yards, and after the game they cut him because they picked up Lance. They did it for a fourth-round pick. Uh, What have I often said? um, About first-round picks and one through three. You have to play your way out of the league. Lance hasn't played his way out of the league. This, if Lance were drafted in the fourth, the seventh round, he'd be out of the league right now. All right? He'd be out of the league. Absolutely. Now, if I recall correctly, isn't this the... Didn't they get that pick from the Cowboys? Right? And so, I mean, the Cowboys' fourth round pick this time is 129. Uh, crazy, isn't it? And I, and to this day, Matt. I have no idea if he's any good. 
None. And I remember I've talked to Neil Kulong about this. I said, Neil, I don't, you know, remember last year I brought this up I, you know, when they thought Lance was going to be the starter? I said, Neil, I have no idea if he's any good. And, you know, and Neil watched him at North Dakota State. And and I just, I don't know. And I still to this day don't know if he's any good. I mean, you think the, the third stringer you have is better. I've certainly seen more from him than I have in Trey Lance in his last couple of years <laughs> combined. Well, they'll both be clearing clipboards, so that makes them equivalent. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Ever tell you the Mark Malone story about the clipboard? Yes. I've told I've told that before. He's on, Terry Bradshaw just went out and played quarterback and did things. You know, Terry did a lot of things by feel out there. And it worked in terms of the ability to win four Super Bowls. And Terry called his own plays, too. And one day he throws one down the middle into a double or triple, whatever, to John Stallworth, who goes up in the coverage, makes the catch, touchdown. And Mark Malone was one of those who wanted to be a sponge and absorb everything that went on in the field. So he'd add the clipboard and he'd be writing, 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 writing. So he throws this touchdown pass to Stallworth. And he comes over the sideline and he says, Brad, Brad, he says, okay, now, he says, what coverage were they in and what made you go to Stallworth? And Bradshaw looks at me and says, well, I looked up, he's the first guy I saw, so I threw it to him. And Malone, Malone dropped the clipboard, looked over at Jack Ham. He goes, I, I, I can't. I can't learn this way. <laughs> uh, that's such a great story, and I'm just not surprised by any of it, first of all. But there's something to be said for it. In all, uh, some of the greatest plays we've seen in football in particular our ad lib plays where everything breaks down and you got to make you know a play and that's what makes it fun i remember there was a play last year Bryce Young they're playing Tennessee and i was watching the game on the plane flying back to state college after penn state had played they're playing Tennessee down in Knoxville and on the snap young takes he goes back to pass and Tennessee they're all over the Alabama offensive line. I mean, they're all over him. So he had to scramble. He had to scramble back up. Then finally, eventually, and all this fires it downfield. He finally hits a guy. The guy takes it down the ten yard line. It was a phenomenal play. That's not the play that was drawn up, <laughs> right? But it's a play I remember from the game. I mean, besides all the ones that were like, hey, here's an out pattern, here's a slant, you know, which are all good plays and they win games for you. But the ones we remember are the ones that had a little ad lib to it. Well, you know, Bradshaw had some some of that to him, and he won four Super Bowls. He was the MVP in two of them. He was the MVP in 13 and 14. The other two were Franco and Lynn Swan. But, yeah. 
You know, those ad lib plays are sometimes some of the best ones. I mean, I I saw a two run score and a sacrifice fly the other night in the Spikes game. The uh, center fielder for the Spikes deep drive to center field went back, back, back on the ball, got to the edge of the warning track, stumbled and made the catch, and he hit the deck hard. He hit his shoulder hard when he fell down. Well, the one guy was already tagging at third. He was going to score easily. The kid from second fields. Right, and this is where the manager and the third base coach, Rene Rivera, read it beautifully. Boom, waved him in, scored two runs on it. Now that's not, you know, it, you know, most times on a fly ball like that, it's station to station. But they ad libbed one and they scored. It was a great play. A lot of the fun plays we see are ad libs. That's what makes sports fun. That's why I always preach about about. The, the players I love are the ones that have the great feel for the game because they're the ones that actually come up with the spectacular plays because they're able to improvise when others can't. And improvisation is cool to watch most of the time. Sometimes you'll see some improvisation, improvisation and go, oh, what were they thinking? <laughs> but enough for Friday night at Chickalone. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. I'm sure the broadcast was great. Especially the chief. All right. S-U-I-T. That spells Suta. How heavy was he breathing at the end of the game? All pretty heavy. That doesn't sound good. (laughs) Great win, though. It was we'll come back. very good we'll one. Co- we'll come back, wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKO. Hi, this is Season. For over 100 years, the Purdy Insurance Agency has been protecting families and businesses of the greater Susquehanna Valley and beyond. With the experience of our trained and knowledgeable staff, you can rest assured that your needs will be evaluated and met by some of the industry's best representatives. No matter what your insurance needs are, call Purdy Insurance today at 570-286-5855. Visit our website at purdyinsurance.com or check us out on Facebook to see what we can do for you. back and forth whether the advice should be more potty training or more sports. <laughs> long term long term it may benefit you with the potty training thing so you can watch more sports. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going. I think you're getting frustrated. Uh you're not totally wrong about that. <laughs> I'm shocked. (laughs) Well, we'll get there. I know. Everybody's different. 15, 16, 17. (laughs) No. No. Not good. That definitely would be not good. Our thing. By the way, Catherine, Catherine Tappen joins us on Wednesday along with Neil Kulong. Got a lot going on. 